In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, it did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Granted by the same Spirit may be truly wise, and ever rejoice in his consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lady Fatima. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. Father Pray for us. St. Nasha Loyola. Pray for us. O God's angels and saints. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So good afternoon. A brief uh, recap. Where we're at is our tripod program of the presentation of our topic for the week. Then you'll break up into your sharing groups after my talk. And the very heart of the exercises is the time that you spend in prayer. So we call that your your holy hour, the time that you spend in prayer. And it it just has to be reiterated that probably the key to the success of this program is you just you gotta persevere. You gotta persevere. So you just have to pray for the grace to persevere. Okay, if you made it through two weeks, we move into the third week. Uh, pray for the grace of perseverance. Jesus says, by, by your perseverance, we'll, we're going to be saved if we persevere. Jesus says that very clear. By your patience, you will save your soul. So, uh, I'll pray for all of you that you will persevere. So, that as a result of this, those who do the exercise as well, they will tell us that their lives are transformed by doing the exercise as well. Uh, if we do not learn how to do mental prayer, I'd have to say very bluntly, we are, um, we're destined to mediocrity. There's no way around it. Okay? If you don't learn how to pray, you're going to be a mediocre Catholic. Uh, I don't see any way around it. So, but... This is a program that um, I tell people giving many, many talks, thousands in my, my years as a priest. I mean, I want to get you to heaven. If you, want to crawl, if you want to crawl, I'll crawl with you. If you want to walk, I'll walk with you. If you want to run, I'll run with you. If you want to fly, I will grow wings and I'll fly higher than you. Okay. I will. I will fly high. And I'll fly higher than you. You just follow me, okay? So if you want to fly high in the spiritual life, you're in the right place. But it's demanding. Of all the programs you've ever made, this is by far the most difficult. Okay? No comparison. The other one was was uh, 
Little League Baseball. This is the, the Dodgers against the Yankees, hopefully next year, okay? This is, this is Major League stuff, okay? This is not for, for Sandlot, Sandlot Baseball. This is for serious stuff, you know? So if you want to be, uh, uh, establish yourself on the highway to heaven, this is probably about the best program out there. So take advantage of it. Amen? Amen. So take advantage of it. All right. Where are we now? This is like building a 10-story building. The first floor of this building is principle and foundation. So I'll keep repeating that. Principle and foundation is the philosophical principle that Ignatius gives us as to why we are here in this world. You're here to praise God, to reverence God, to serve God, and by means of that to save your mortal soul. And you're called to use, you're called to use all of creation and not to abuse we're called to use and not to abuse. Okay, you have to arrive little by little at a state, it's called a state of holy indifference. Now, holy indifference does not mean apathy. Or as the young people say, whatever. In Spanish, que me importa, no? It's not that. But rather, holy indifference means we have to try to detach ourselves from our attachments. Now, we all have attachments. If you don't know, give me four minutes and I'll be able to point out two or three of your attachments. No? Uh, I'm a soul surgeon. You, you give me three, three minutes, I'll be able to point it out. Even though it's painful, you probably won't want me to, to do that, but I could point out your attachments. So the exercises help us to, to locate our attachments so that we can start to work on them. And Ignatius gives us four categories. We shouldn't be attached to, the, to health over sickness, long life over short life, riches over poverty, and honors over humiliations. But I'm not going to anticipate it, but next week, once you go through next week, after you finish next week, every one of you here will know what is your disordered attachment. I won't tell you what you're going to be meditating upon, but next week we'll point out to you where you really have to work to overcome these major attachments. All right, last week, last week was a week in which you, you were introduced to, your, to our major obstacle to arriving at principle and foundation. And that is the reality of sin. You meditate upon what's called the triple sin. The sin of the angels, the sin of Adam and Eve, and the sin of a person that lost his soul because of one mortal sin. Right? And you're begging for the grace of the divine perspective to be able to see the sin through, uh, through God's perspective. Okay, 
It's important you underline that. Through God's perspective because the world sees the sin as something cool or with it or you're modern. Whereas in the eyes of God, sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And that's not a joke. Fulton Sheen would call it deicide. You ever heard the words homicide, suicide? Deicide is that you nailed God to the cross. So if we see sin in that light that motivates us to make a concerted effort to overcome it in our lives. And one way we can overcome sin is we're all going to be tempted until we die. We're going to be tempted until we die. St. Louis de Montfort, his last words were, were Merci beaucoup, je ne peux pécher plus. If you speak French, okay? Merci beaucoup, je ne peux pécher plus. Parlez-vous français? Okay. So, if any of you know French, it's very poetic the way it's said in French, okay? Merci beaucoup, je ne peux pécher plus. I'll translate it in English. <laughs> Thanks be to God, I can no longer sin. And then St. Louis de Montfort dies one of the greatest saints in the Catholic Church, who gave us true devotion. St. Francis Sales says, our egotism dies 15 minutes after we're dead and buried. <laughs> Francis de Sales, saying that we, we have deeply embedded with us because of original sin, these tendencies towards sin. But I'd like to give a positive twist to it. Every time you're tempted to sin, every time you say no, you're saying yes to the love of God. Maybe see it that way. Every time you're tempted to commit a sin, whatever it might be, okay, we're we're all tempted many times every day. In big matters and sometimes, often in small matters. You're tempted to do something, no, because I love God. That will motivate you all the more. You hear me? If it's simply because I don't want to sin, because I don't want to break a rule, legalism is going to get you so far. It will. But love has no limits. If you don't believe me, read the life of any saint. You read the life of the saint, and they they, they blow us out of the water. (laughs) They blow us out of the water. Any saint. We're, We're humbled because we see there are these supernovas, these lights, and here we are groveling on the ground like, a, like, like an ant, no? But we're, we're called not to be turtles or ants, we're called to become these, these eagles flying high in the spiritual life, okay? Amen? Amen? So, that's where we're at. Now, this week is a follow-up of the meditation upon sin, and Ignatius gives us another twist. If anyone does this week well, if the person is living in mortal sin, they're going to get out of it. And if, if you do it well. Okay. And I've been given this uh, this week for many years. I, I never get tired of going through this week. Okay. If we meditate upon this, this will move us out of sin. Okay, so this is the week of the meditation on the last things. In theology, it's called eschatology. 
Eschatology is a technical word in theology. The study of the last things. As seminarians, we had a whole semester, at least when I was in Rome, studying eschatology. Okay, so what is eschatology? It's the study of the last things. You're going to be studying, you're going to be meditating on this reality. Death, judgment, heaven, hell, and purgatory. Death, judgment, heaven, hell, purgatory. And this is all imbued in one of the spiritual truths that has always motivated me is the reality of eternity. Wow. Have you ever meditated upon eternity? I think I do every day. Eternity means what? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. So you meditate upon all of this is related to eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. My friends, our life is very short. And uncertain. The example would be Bishop O'Connell, who we all are suffering because of him. Uh, of all the bishops, he's the one I was probably closest to. When he was consecrated as bishop, he asked me to work with him to evangelize his region. He asked me to help him to try to evangelize San Gabriel region. And a lot of my missionary work in San Therese, St. John the Baptist, that's the region where he where he was uh, the regional bishop. Humble man. Shortly after he was concert, he invited me to go out to breakfast with, breakfast with him. And he asked me about my project and he pulled out a napkin. He was, he was taking notes from me on his napkin. <laughs> on the spiritual exercise, the Marian consecration program. What a humble guy, no? But who would have ever thought 24 hours ago that the Lord would have called him? 69, very healthy. 69. So th- that, the death of this bishop is part of our meditations this week. Okay? That what happened to him, that's part of what we're meditating upon this week. So, and I would even say, hopefully you're going to go deeper and deeper into this, but if you have your adult children or friends that are away from the church, talk about this in graphic detail. I give you permission. Some of you have young adults that don't practice. Talk about this. This will be like an earth shape. Or, or this would be earth to, to shake them out of their lethargy. Okay? To shake them out of their sin. Talk about this topic. Very serious. Very serious. Don't give them cotton candy. No, give them none of this cotton candy. That's not going to get you anywhere. 
Give them the essence of the hard truth of, of Catholicism. So let's go through it categorically. So let's start with the topic of death. Let's talk about death. So I'd like to give some definitions. I'd like to define what death is. Then talk about the uncertainty of death. Then I'd like to talk about what Jesus says about death. And then I'd like to talk about our, our own death. Definition. I'm sure we have some doctors or nurses or those who work in the medical field here. I'm going to give you the theological definition and not the clinical definition. I'm not a nurse or a doctor, but I am a theologian. Okay. Okay, The definition theologically is very simple. Death is the separation of the soul from the body. Nothing more. The clinical will give you, you know, maybe the, the heart stops and the brain waves go flat. I'm not a doctor or a nurse, but theologically, death is a separation of the soul, the body from the soul. When your soul leaves your body, you're dead. Okay? Try to remember that. Okay? Separation of the soul from the body. Now, going against what has been disseminated over the past 40 years from the New Age movement, you've heard of that? Have you? The New Age movement has even infiltrated into some theological circles within the church. So I, just, I want to just dispel a myth. As Catholics, we don't believe in reincarnation. That's diametrically opposed to this topic. Reincarnation is diametrically opposed to the Paschal Mystery, which is the Passion, Death, and Resurrection. And I once proved that to one of our secretaries that used to be the office at Room 3. There were a couple of secretary women that were panicking because there was a cucaracha. You know what a cucaracha is? So what I did was, you see this cucaracha? I went like this. I prove you that I don't believe in reincarnation. That's not my great-grandfather. Reincarnation is you believe that you have many lives. It's called the circle of existence, that you're born, you live, you die, and you're transformed. You're born, you live, you die, you're transformed. It's called the wheel of existence, and you went to what is called karma, non-existence. So we don't believe that. And uh, you, you meet some of your young adult, they probably believe in that, or they heard that, and they partially accept it. That's diabolic. Because if you believe that in reincarnation, what's that mean? You can sow your wild oats now, right? You can live a, a sinful life. Well, I've got another, I've got another, I've got other chances. That's why it's so dangerous, my friends. We got one chance. 
no more than once as you meditate upon the death of that one person who lost his soul because of a mortal sin. We got one chance. Now I'd like to introduce what Jesus says into by quoting uh, a phrase I learned in Buenos Aires in Argentina. When I arrived, there was this almost 90-year-old holy catechist that took me under her wings and she taught me Spanish and she taught me a lot of uh, Argentinian proverbs. So I'd like to say it in Spanish and I'll translate it in English. Some of you speak Spanish. She said, Padre Escobita, la muerte es lo más cierto, es lo más incierto. Any speak Spanish here? La muerte es lo más cierto y lo más incierto. No cierto? <laughs> it's a good one-liner. So, so most of you understand Spanish here. What it means is uh, life is the most certain thing, but it's also the most uncertain thing. And the best example is Bishop O'Connor. That's the best example. It's the most certain thing in the world. It's the most uncertain thing in the world. Now, if you understand that means that we're living each day, we're living each day very carefully to try to try to do all we can to stay in God's grace. I'm not saying we're living with fear, but we're living with great vigilance because we don't know when the Lord's going to call us. Okay, a personal example. My maternal grandmother lived in three centuries. Now, most of you think that that's impossible. It's only possible if you're born at the end of a century. I was born right in the middle of a century, so that'd be impossible for me. Unless I'm going to live to be 150 years old, which I probably won't, probably won't make it. No, she was born 1898 and died 202. So she lived to be 104. I'm one of nine. My mom uh, lost a, a baby, a stillborn baby. Nine months. But the umbilical cord strangled my little sister. It would have been, I think, number six. And why did my little sister, my mom called her Joni, my, my mom's name is Joan, little Joan, why did... She lived nine months and my grandmother, 104. It's a mystery, isn't it? I don't understand it. But what's important, as the imitation of Christ points out, is not important a long life, but a holy life. Amen? Amen. It's not important a long life, but a holy life. And that's what we're aiming at in the exercise. We want to live holy lives. Holy lives. Okay, so let's build upon death. What is okay? What does Jesus say about death? Okay, related to death, this is the the basic teaching of Jesus Christ on death. It's vigilance, and we have to be prepared. We don't know when God is going to call us, like my little sister, like Bishop O'Connell. All of us know of untimely deaths. 
If you don't believe it, just read the newspaper every day. Every day you have untimely deaths. Sometimes it's one. There in, in, in Turkey, how many people died in that earthquake? It was just, what, a week ago, right? There are already 40,000 people. With the tsunami that happened 10 years ago was a third of a million. We don't know the day nor the hour that God is going to call us. We have to be prepared. This should be our motto. Live each day of our life as if it were the last. That's my motto. I don't know about you. I try to live every day of my life as if it were my last. It could be. I don't know. What would be against this is la filosofia de la mañana. Yeah. La filosofia de la mañana is diametrically opposed. I'll put it off until tomorrow. Uh-uh. No, right now. The Mexicans say ahorita. You know what ahorita is? In English, translate it right now. In this specific moment. Right now. Right now. Don't put it off until tomorrow. Now what Jesus says constantly is we have to be vigilant. Uh, and he says, he'll come like a, like a thief in the night. The second Jesus says, he'll be like in the time of Noah. Any of you go to daily mass? Well, you've heard that over the past the past 10 days, right? And then I think I think one of the best parables you have is the parable of the rich fool. Remember that, any of you? This man who had an abundant harvest and he had small barns and he didn't know what to do so he decided he was doing some brainstorming. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, then I'll build more spacious barns so that I can place my grain and my corn. And then he says, then he has a, a soliloquy where he talks to himself. And he says, my soul, my soul, you have a long life. Eat, drink, and be merry. But in American society, we say, live it up, it's Miller time. Okay? <laughs> Remember that, that movie that came out 20 years ago, The Dead Poet Society? Remember that? Carpe diem. Remember that? Carpe diem, what does it mean? Take advantage of the moment. Okay? That's the American society. you got one life to live. Live it up. Go for it. It's Miller time. Have fun. Have fun and live it up. You've got one life to live. That's the modern society. But Jesus, what did Jesus say? Jesus says, you fool. Jesus says, we can't call anyone a fool, but he can. It's interesting. Jesus said, don't call anyone a fool or raka, you risk the Gehenna, right? But he can call someone a fool, and I'm glad he does. Yeah. 
Such is the person that only lives for this life. So all of us should beg for this grace. We should all beg for the grace of a holy and happy death. I don't know about you people, but I... I, I want to live as long as God wants me to live, but I, I really want to go to heaven. Do you? Yes. I, I really, more than you people, I really want to go to heaven. <laughs> if God wants me to live as my grandmother, a hundred, okay, I'll accept. If he wants me to take, take my life today, I think I'm more or less prepared. But I want to go to heaven, more than you people. But I want all of you to go to heaven too. Want to come along with me? Yes. Yeah. I want to go to heaven. That, that, that's the greatest longing of my heart. But also, I, I want, when they celebrate the Mass, I want to bring millions of souls. I'm very ambitious in that sense. Not one or two. Every Mass I say, Lord, I pray that this Mass will be instrumental in saving a million souls. Amen. And it can happen because it's the Mass of the prayer of Christ. When I say that, I hear the Lord saying, why are you asking for so little? Ask for more, boomy boy. Come, ask for more. Ask for more. Now we should have a, 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 a real longing to go to heaven. So St. Alphonse de Liguri, have you heard of him? St. Alphonse says the grace of all graces is to die in the state of grace. I like that. The grace of all graces is to die in the state of grace. How many parents here? Do you pray for the salvation of your children? Yes. Every day? Yes. You really should. That prayer is very pleasing to God. And I believe God's going to hear you. Offer these exercises for your rebellious children. Pray for them. You want to get, you, you want to, every, every child you have, you want to make sure he or she gets to heaven. Pray fervently for that. And that is love. Thomas Aquinas says love or charity is willing the good of the other. What is the summum bonum, as Aquinas would put it? What is the greatest of all goods? The salvation of our souls. Nothing great. Your soul, your soul is worth more than the whole created universe. Your soul. Your soul is worth more than the whole created universe. And I'm not exaggerating. Father, you always use hyperbole. We know your, your literary style. No. It's not hyperbole. Which means literary flair to emphasize a point, as the English majors would say, huh? No, it's the truth. Your soul is worth more than the whole universe. That's why the saints, the saints 
make so many sacrifices, willing to suffer because they want to do all they can to bring as many souls to heaven as possible. So let's pray for let's pray for for each other that we would have the grace of a holy and happy death. I'd like to tell you a, a personal anecdote and then I'll move into the other topics. I had the privilege of having parents that were married for 62 years. Nine children, 39 grandchildren. A pretty big family, huh? My father passed away about seven years ago and my mom is still living at, at 92. About six months ago, she was really declining. Okay, really, at 92, I mean, you can't tell when you're 92, right? So, one of my siblings says, uh, says, you better come, and she lives all the way out there in New Hampshire, which is the other part of the, the world, no? So, me and my older brother, who's the doctor, we said, I mean, I, I almost dropped everything, and asked Father Larry, can I go and see my mom? He said, yes, so I flew out, and she was weak. So what I did was this. Because I, I love my mom and I want, her, I want her to stay longer. But what I want, I want her to go to heaven. And when God wants to take her, God knows it the best time. So what did I do? I heard her confession. I gave her the anointing of the sick. I gave her the apostolic pardon, which means plenary indulgence. I celebrated the Mass in her room because she couldn't get out of bed. Then, me and my older brother, we prayed the rosary and the chapel of divine mercy. And my mom said, I'm ready to go now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what happened was, every time I gave her the, you know, the sick, she would rebound. <laughs> Interesting. I gave the anointing the sick, it's almost as if she was wilting and she would be revitalized. But what I'm saying to you is what we want to aim at. I was giving my mom everything I possibly could so that not only does she die, but she goes right to heaven. You know, making a confession, giving her the anointing of the sick, the apostolic pardon, plenary indulgence. You know what that means? Yeah. You die, you go right to heaven. No purgatory. And then her two beloved elderly sons the, the back surgeon, the soul surgeon here. No? We prayed a fervent rosary in the chaplet. So, I mean, I, I can't see a better preparation than that. But God still, God still wants her to live more years. Well, I don't know, more years, but God wants her to live more. But I was trying, to, I'm trying to live out what I'm preaching. What I'm preaching, I'm living it out with the person that, that I'm closest to, my earthly mother. You understand? So, you should try to do that also with your loved ones. See, this is not simply a, a theoretical, utopian, pie-in-the-sky meditation. This is very practical. Very practical. This should influence the way you think and the way you act toward your loved ones. You want to do all you can so that you are a bridge by which all your loved ones can get to heaven. A bridge and not a barrier 
And they both start with B, right? <laughs> Not a barrier, but a bridge by which they arrive at their eternal destiny, which is heaven. So you're going to be meditating upon death and try to imagine your own death. How would you like to die? You, 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 you try to compose your own death. I've thought about this many, many times. For me, it's a no-brainer. I would die, I'd like to die as a martyr. I mean, no-brainer. I'm a coward. I'm a coward. I'm the biggest coward in the world, but you know, theologically, I know that's the best way to go. Doctor gives me a shot. Ready? Ready? Okay, doctor. I'm ready. I'm ready. Ready, 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 ready. ready, ready, ready. Okay. One, two, three. Ah! The doctor said, I didn't even give it to you yet. Oh. Put that, what do you call that solution on? I'm the biggest coward in the world. But Ignatius says, if God, if God asks me to do it, he'll give me the grace. I rely upon that. Not upon my own courage, which is basically nothing. No? But if God asks for and I say, yes, I'll be a courageous soldier of Christ, as we see in the Christeros and Maria Goretti and Colby and the many martyrs that we admire in the Catholic Church. But really what I want for me and I want for you, I want to die the way God wants me to die. But martyrdom, obviously, is the best way to go. Because we're imitating Christ, we're shedding our blood for Him. And by the way, no purgatory either. <laughs> now I prefer to be not like Saint Martyr to be you know, burnt alive, be turned over, and this no, just one shot in the head. Okay. <laughs> That's Lord, do it that way. No. I know myself. I'm, uh, it's humility is the truth, right? I know. Okay, so death. Okay, after death, we have judgment. So we're going through the four last things. Death, judgment. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church specifies that when we talk about judgment, there's two judgments. There's the particular and general. So the particular judgment, judgment, as soon as you die, right now we're in the realm of God's mercy. As soon as we die, mercy is over. It's judgment time. William Shakespeare says that Life is a theater, and we're all, we're all actors on the platform of life, Shakespeare says in one of his writings. So you might see it this way. Your life is a, is a, is a movie. It's a, it's a YouTube, or an Instagram, or a movie, or a DVD. Every day, you're being filmed. Every time you open up your mouth, your garden angel is pressing the button. So when you die, the garden angel is going to give Jesus a DVD as well as a podcast, if you like, 
the podcast or the DVD, okay, or the video. And when you die, when you die, it's movie time. It's movie time. Edwards Cinema, okay, it's movie, okay. And you're going to be seeing the movie of your life. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said, every word that's come out of your mouth, every thought you've had, every movement of the heart you've had, you're going to be judged on that. It's a little bit scary, isn't it? But as we move on in these exercises, you're going to see that we're going to be giving you a remedy that's going to fill you with joy and peace once we hit the fifth week. Okay? Once you hit the fifth week, you're going to see a, just a deluge of consolation related to our lives. That we can edit and re-edit our lives. We can remold our lives. We can reprint the books of our lives. But we're going to be judged by Jesus Christ. That's called the, the particular judgment. The general judgment will be at the end of your the end of the world, which all those who ever lived, from Adam and Eve until the last person, will be presented before Christ. And there's going to be the separation. This you can find in your Bible in Matthew chapter 25. Okay, Matthew chapter 25. Jesus separates the goats on his left and the sheep on his right. I'm not saying you people are the goats and you're the sheep. Okay. <laughs> the goats on the left and the sheep on the right. I was hungry and I was thirsty and I was naked and you, I was a foreigner and I was sick and in prison you came to, whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers that you do unto me. That's, that's going to be your final exam. Final exam. Hopefully we'll get straight A's, huh? Yeah, I mean, you're going to be judged on, on that. If any of you like Mexican or Spanish poetry, son, Juan de la Cruz, en el ocaso de nuestra existencia seremos juzgados sobre el amor. Beautiful, isn't it? In the twilight of our existence, we'll be judged on love. That's St. John the Cross. We're going to be judged on love, love for God and love for neighbor. Okay, so there we have the reality of judgment. Okay, let's talk now about what you've been waiting for for two weeks. You've been all longing for this topic. Let's talk about hell, okay? <laughs> you've been all been longing for this, I know, so. Let's talk about the topic of hell. This is a topic among Catholics among Catholics that they don't like. Okay? And many Catholics they become what are called cafeteria Catholics. 
I think Scott Hahn was the one that coined that. Know what a cafeteria Catholic is? Have you heard that cafeteria Catholic? Cafeteria Catholic is, you, you, you know, you pick and choose. You pick and choose. So Jesus is the good shepherd. Oh, I love that. Heaven, I love that. No? God is love. God is mercy. Man, I love being a Catholic. How about hell? Well, I don't like that at all. We become selective listeners and selective choosers. We pick and choose what is according to our own spiritual taste buds. Yes. I, 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 really, I really feel that this topic has to be preached more. I, I preach it. And people don't like it when I preach it, but I have to give you the fullness of the faith. And I think you've all heard this. I don't believe a God of love and mercy would send anyone to hell. Ever hear that one? Ever heard that? Many times. Knowing language pretty well, being a writer, one thing I've always tried to do in my preaching, teaching, writing is never to be ambiguous. I, I've, no one has ever said Father Boom is ambiguous. Never. You know what ambu- ambiguity means? Is that you're not clear. Yeah, you're, you're not clear. Whereas that phrase, that phrase is ambiguous. It is. Because technically speaking, that's true. God doesn't send anyone to hell. But how, how are people, people going to interpret that? Ah, no one's going to hell. That's why it's ambiguous. It's a euphemism. It's very dangerous. So if, no one, if no one is going to hell, why did G, John Lyons give this as the best argument? If everyone... If everyone is going to heaven, why did Jesus die on the cross on Good Friday? You tell me. For me, that's the best argument I've ever heard. That's, I've never heard. Of, I've heard arguments. If everyone is going to, he, to heaven, why did he die on the cross? He died on the cross to prevent us from going to hell. If everyone is going to heaven, why did Padre Pio suffer the stigmata 50 years? You tell me. 50 years. You've heard of Padre Pio, right? If everyone is going to heaven, why did little Jacinta Marto of the Fatima, why did she suffer so much? If everyone is going to heaven, why did the Curie of ours spend 15 hours in a damp, Humid, cold, confessional, 15 hours a day for 40 years. Why would he do that? You imagine that, no? It's all, it's all related to trying to help souls to avoid going to hell. And, you know, talk to your young adults about that. 
Bring them to me, I'll talk to them about it. And graphically, I'll use Dante, I'll use everything. Oh yeah, I'll, 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 I'll wax really eloquent when they talk about hell. I'll wax eloquent. Okay, now, let's, let's, move, let's move from from the reality of hell, by, what, by the way, it is a dogma of faith. It's not a theological opinion. It's a dogma of faith. If you deny it, you're not a Catholic. <laughs> you deny hell, you're not a Catholic. You are a cafeteria Catholic. Pick and choose Catholic. And the, 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 the best defense of hell, my friends, is, is the gospel. Okay, read, read through any gospel. John doesn't have it as much, but the synoptic gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you go through the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus spoke about heaven, but he spoke much more about hell. Now, why, why did Jesus speak so much about hell? Because he doesn't want us to go to hell. Because he doesn't want us, he's, he's warning us. Why does a mother say to a four-year-old kid, don't play with matches? Not to violate her sense of dignity and her freedom. No, because she doesn't want the kid to get burnt, right? <laughs> doesn't want the little kid to get burnt. So God is, is warning us of this reality so that we don't go there. Right now, I'm just going to—I'm going to rifle off from my memory many biblical verses that you have on hell. Okay, just mentioned it five minutes ago. Matthew chapter 25. I was hungry; you didn't give me to eat. I was thirsty; you didn't—you didn't give me to drink. And then Jesus says, "Out of my presence into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels." You don't, you don't believe me? Read Matthew chapter 25. It's not me, it's Christ. The more and more I see how much God, how much Christ, how much our Lord loves us. How much our Lord loves us that he does all he possibly can to warn us of this danger that's out there. How much he loves us. But he wants us to love him back. He wants us to love him back. Classical literature, love not corresponded, the broken heart complex. The broken heart complex. God wants to be loved. Okay, Luke 16. I'm just going to rifle passages at you. Luke 16. Remember Luke 16? No, we're not Protestants, Father Broome. Okay, Luke 16. I was reading your mind. Okay, Luke 16. It's the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Remember that? You know that passage. Okay. Why did the rich man end up in hell? Not so much for what he did do, but what, what he failed to do. Yes. I repeat, he's end, he ends up in hell. The fiery pit. Not so much for what he did do, but what, what he failed to do. 
What is that called? That's called the sin of omission. Now, you, you, you parents, some of you have young adults, and, and I'm saying this out of love, but probably most of your failures with your kids were sins of omission. And you're just aware of it now, but probably most of your sins is that you didn't do what you probably should have done. You were too busy, or maybe you didn't want to fight with a teenager, this or that. And I'm just saying this because I'm trying to help all of us to, to form our conscience well. You know, we're supposed to do good and avoid evil, right? Okay, say for example, you've got kids, teenagers, and they haven't been to, to confession for, for two years. He's only 13. Who's at fault for that? Hello? Yeah, I mean, they, they can't drive. They depend upon you. So it's really incumbent upon the parents to provide the religious formation of their kids. And that's why we're here. We're trying to repair the damage. And I'm not trying to throw you a guilt trip. I, I, I'm just trying to be honest. We all fail. But God is loving. God is loving and God forgives. And love covers a multitude of sins. I love that, don't you? Love covers a multitude of sins. Okay, let's move on. Okay, John 15. John 15, we're talking about biblical verses where Jesus talks about hell. What is John 15? It's the parable that Jesus used of the vine and the branches. Remember that? I'm the vine, you're the branches. My father, my father cuts away the branches that does not bring forth fruit. And what does he do to those branches? I can't hear you. He throws them into fire. That's another one. Another verse. Is the verse we had last week in the Mass in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, You have heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, Whoever looks at another woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. Wow. I mean, that's not Father Brome, that's Jesus Christ. Then, what does Jesus say? If your eye if your eye is a cause of sin, what should you do? Better to enter into heaven with one eye than into the hellfire, where the fire is never extinguished and the worm never dies. That's the word of Jesus. If your hand is an occasion of sin, cut it off. If your foot is an occasion of sin, 
better to enter into eternal life with one eye, with one hand, one feet, than to be cast into hellfire. This is Jesus Christ in a, in a very strong language. Very strong language. So Jesus is, Jesus is warning us. Warning us of the dangers that surround us. Okay, now, related to that passage, to that passage, Matthew chapter 5. So I'm moving now from biblical passage, passages to approved, approved uh, Marian apparitions. Approved Marian apparitions, Our Lady of Fatima. What did Our Lady of Fatima say? She said, pray the rosary, but Our Lady of Fatima said this. Three things related to this topic. First, she said that most souls are lost. Do you know why what she said? Because of the sins of the flesh, which would be the sins against the sixth and ninth commandment. This is a hundred years ago now. A hundred years, 1917, right? That's when she appeared. Then she said, she said to Jacinta in subsequent visitation, she said that many. Okay, many marriages are very bad. She didn't say why, but I think it's a no-brainer because many marriages are dominated by the spirit of lust. They are. You hear me? And that's a no-brainer. Dominated by the spirit of lust. Okay. Couples get married right away, right away contraception. That's the devil of lust. It is. It's lust. Instead of seeing the woman as a lifelong partner to love and to cherish, she's seen as as an object to be utilized. That's contraception. Put two and two together. You hear me? I'm using logic now. It's not love. It's utilizing a a person as an object. That's ugly. And you know it. Catholics, Protestants, non-believers have probably the same use of contraception irrespective of any religious affiliation. You know, listen to this. I, 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 I teach everything. 
I teach confirmation. I'm the one who's taught most confirmation in the history of this parish. Every, every teacher that has, I always have like three times more. The parents want me to teach because I'm a priest, but also I'm tough with the kids. I'm tough with the kids. What am I doing? On March 19th, they're going to be making, they're going to be making a, a chastity promise. Yes. And what am I doing? With the help of, of Elvira, I'm giving the talks to the parents as well as to uh, the kids. I'm giving talks on chastity to the kids. Five different talks. And it's very, as they say, suave. It's nothing graphic, but I'm just giving them the different components of being able to live out this virtue. So that on March 19th, which is the feast day of St. Joseph, okay, I, I, I think sometimes theologically we're, we're beating around the bush. The big problem today is, is the whole idea of the human person, human sexuality, abusing it, addiction to certain things. Let's hit the nail on the head. Sometimes we're, we're beating around the bush. We're beating around the bush. There, I'm thinking, it's my responsibility to get these kids to heaven, and I'm, I'm, I'm the teacher, the parents too. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get them to understand. This is where, this is where the rubber hits the road. Right here. And for all of us, are we going to battle to live chastity, or just gonna follow our passions? It's one or the other. Are we going to battle to obtain it? All of us. We as adults, we've got to struggle too. Teenagers, probably even more than us. Are we going to recognize what is the basic enemy? Are we going to do all we possibly can to be able to live out this virtue or just follow our passions? I had the 12 o'clock Mass yesterday and I told all those people in the 12 o'clock Mass, some of you are at my Mass, is one of the principal reasons why young people, your young adult kids, 20 to 40, they don't go to Mass, is because they have a problem with pornography. Yes. They got a problem with pornography. They're addicted to it. And that addiction is more powerful than the addiction to to cocaine. So if you don't want to overcome that, you're going to be a slave of that to the end of your life. That's the reason why your young adult children do not come. They're going to say, well, I, you know, there are abuses, you know, McCarrick, you know, I don't like the choir, you know, the church is always asking for money, and, you know... The priest preaches too long, and you know all these, all these objections. But they're beating around the bush because they don't want to admit that they've got a serious problem with addiction to pornography. It's a universal problem. Now, I honestly think every parish should set up a program to try to get people to live out this virtue. 
I think every parish should have a problem to work on helping people. We struggle ourselves. Your kids probably much more than us because they're younger. But it's a universal problem that we have to address. A lady of Fatima said this a hundred years ago. You've got a young adult, sit down and have a long talk with him and then bring this up. Then, hey, bring him to confession. Principle of graduality. Gradually less and less and less and less. Maybe it's going to take a year. Maybe it'll take two years. Maybe it'll take four years. But at least, for me as a priest and confess, as long as you're, as long as you're trying, that's good enough. As long as you try, as long as you try, that's good enough. You do your part, then God will do his part. So this is, where the, this is really where the devil has a real inroad in this area. So our hope on March 19th will be that when your daughter gets that ring the chastity ring with the miraculous medal. Give this to her husband the day she gets married. Okay? Promising virginity, which is almost impossible today, but God wants that. God wants that. I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's, not, it's not impossible. But God, everything's possible. Amen? Modern psychology is saying, Father, you're, you're, living, you're out in left field. It's possible with God's grace. Amen. Amen? God's grace is possible. So, I'm talking about hell, and this is, this is the, the, the basic reason according to Our Lady of Fatima as to why most souls are lost. Okay, so that's the reality of hell. Meditate upon hell. And beg for the grace to be, to be able to avoid it. Hell exists. And all of us could lose our souls. Okay? Hell exists. I could lose my soul. All of you could lose your souls. So we want to pray and beg the Lord, look at the Lord on the cross, that we will be able to do all we possibly can to make it to heaven. So heaven. We should have a fear of hell. But we should have a greater desire to go to heaven. Amen? Amen. We should have a real fear of hell but a greater desire to go to heaven. And do all we possibly can to make it to our eternal destiny, which is heaven. A real longing to go to heaven. The psalmist says, as the deer yearns for the running streams. So my soul 
yearns for you, O Lord my God. Yeah. Psalm 41, verse 1. As the deer yearns for the running streams, so my soul yearns for you, O Lord my God. So we should have a greater yearning for heaven. Think about the happiest day in your life, the happiest hour in your life, the happiest moment in your life. Okay? Now, magnify that joy a million times and forever and ever and ever. Have a little glimpse of what heaven is like. Now think about that. We talked about hell. Now think about heaven. The happiest day in your life, happiest hour in your life, happiest moment in your life, magnify that a million times. And heaven is much greater. Okay, I'll, give, I'll, I'll give some of you an image that half of you, if not more, will understand. Do you remember? Okay, do you, do you, okay, do you remember when your first child was born? Do you have children? The first smile that your little baby gave to you, was that the happiest day in your life? I think it was. How many mothers here? Isn't that true? I, I, you're, probably, you're probably floating in the air. See, little child, give a little smile, and then showing it to dad. Okay, that's just a little human image. Now, heaven is going to be a billion, everyone's going to be smiling at you. The angels, the saints, Mary and Joseph, and they're never going to have a frown. Then your baby starts to cry, right? Okay. <laughs> so all, you use all the human images you can. For me, it's 1986, May 25th, at about 10 o'clock in the morning. I knelt down and John Paul II... John Paul II, a great Polish Pope, he placed his hands on my head and I got up a new priest. Wow. Wow. That was the happiest moment in my life. When JP2 placed his hands on me, I have a holy head. A little bit less hair now, but I've got a holy hair. That's the happiest day in my life. And every year that I celebrate another anniversary, I kind of relive that. Thanking God that even though I'm unworthy, God called me to be a priest. What, a, what joy. And that's just like a little foretaste of heaven. A little foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. Got it? So we did talk about hell, but we have to emphasize heaven too. I don't think we long for heaven enough. I don't think we do. We long for heaven. Okay. Give me another three minutes. The rules for discernment. Okay, rule. It's going to go very quickly, then we'll go into our groups. Okay, rule seven. Okay, rule seven, eight, and nine are related to desolation again. Remember the word desolation? Okay, rule Seven, eight, and nine. Okay, rule, I'll be, I'll be as quick as possible, then you can read through the rules. But I'd like to just explain it. Okay, rule seven 
is the role, I give a, a theological explanation, the role of sufficient grace. Sufficient grace means that when you're in desolation, you can get out of it. You can. You're in desolation. You can get out of it. Rule 7. But you have to go back, you have to go back and do what Rule 6 tells you to do. Which is you've got to pray, you've got to meditate, you've got to do a little bit of penance, and then examine your conscience. That's Rule 7. Rule 8 is the rule of a virtue that we're very weak in. You've got to be patient. Are you patient? There's a lady that said this, Lord, give me patience right now, right now. Ahorita, huh? Ahorita. Right now, right now, give me patience. I want it now. Microwave, huh? The microwave. So, Ignatius says, be, be patient, apply those rules that you learn in Rule 6, and you'll get out of it. Rule 9 explains why we have desolation. And Ignatius gives you three causes. One, it's our own fault. Because we're not doing our holy hour, we're giving in to gluttony, we're not watching over our eyes, we're giving in to venial sin, we're, not, uh, we're giving in to laziness, we're not doing our part. So God allows the desolation to get out of that state of mediocrity. God does not want mediocrity. The other would be so that we recognize that consolation is not of our own doing. God gives it when he wants to, the way he wants to, and the intensity. And the third, this is all row nine, is that we do not fall into what is John of the Cross calls spiritual gluttony. St. John of the Cross says, seek the God of consolations and not the consolations of God. Got that? Seek the God of consolations and not the consolations of God. That's, that's Ignatius, but I'm, I'm giving you John the Cross to try to flesh that out. Okay, we'll, okay now, rule 10 and 11, and then I'll finish. Up to this point, we've been dealing with basically desolation. Now, rule 10 and 11. What do you do when you're in consolation? Okay, rule 10 says... When you're in consolation, prepare for desolation. <laughs> because we can become spiritually lazy. We can become complacent. So you really feel, oh, I did a great meditation. I was floating in the air. Look at my poor spouse. He's floundering in no man's land. No. I'm a great saint. You should call me Teresa Babel the second. No. Now, humbly, humbly be prepared because our spiritual life is a battle. Then rule 11 is this. When you're in consolation, humble yourself. You can be proud. I had a really great meditation. I I am a saint. No? So humble yourself and think about how you felt when you're in desolation. That will keep you humble, huh? So I've gone through these rules very quickly. You have the rules written. 
and try to read through them and get to know them. Okay, so um, I know it's a very, very challenging week, but if it's done well, and look, we're, we're entering into Lent this Wednesday, right? So you've chosen the best time of the year to do the exercises. These exercises are going to take you right through Lent all the way to the glory of Easter. So you've chosen the best time, and I'll pray for you. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou, and blessed the fruit of thy Lord Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the end of the Saint Ignatius Loyola, pray for us.